G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in real estate is really mindset, right? Like coming, uh, coming from not, you know, significant means you end up subtly, though my, my mom was really good with money. My dad still doesn't, isn't good with money because he just didn't know anything about it. He never cared. But mom was great with money, but never really had that like, hey, we can go beyond where we are that you can do. If you put your mind to it, you really can do anything. I mean, you say you can't, you're right. You say you can, you're probably right. Like, and, and that, that to me has been a big mind shift in just understanding that, yeah, you know what? I, I can break out of maybe the cycle that uh, I've been shown and do a lot more. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sam Wilson. Now, Sam is an active investor in many different real estate assets. He's in self-storage, he's in parking, he's in retail, he's in multifamily apartments, 
RV parks, and he's in single-family homes. He's also the host of How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where he interviews real estate experts to give listeners the tips, tools, and tricks to scale their investment portfolio. And I had the pleasure of being on his show a couple of weeks back. But the thing that really makes Sam tick is he's so passionate about building a machine that gives him time and money freedom. That Whether it be a business or real estate, he doesn't care too much about what the hustle is as long as it builds his lifestyle for him and his family. I'm really pumped and excited to welcome him to the show to share his incredible knowledge and his experience. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Sam. Welcome to the show, mate. How you doing? Reed, I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, mate, my pleasure. Where are you dialing in from today? Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. How is the weather over in Memphis right now? Are you getting a bit cold over there? Man, it's uh, it's beautiful here today. The uh, temperature's like, I don't know, gosh, 50, 55 degrees Fahrenheit and... Um, yeah, sunny man. Getting, getting a little wintry. Getting a little. Uh, getting the getting the, the pumpkin spice for lattes those of out. You in, <laughs> yeah, for, for those of you in uh, Los Angeles, yeah, that uh, maybe that is uh, cold. But no, this is perfect. This is perfect awesome. weather for me. Awesome, brother. Well, mate, I, I start the show with every question. I ask all my guests this: is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Ooh, that have probably been first grade, maybe second. And I figured out that, and I'd save some quarters. I had a, I got a, one of those chains, like stackable chain machines, save mm-hmm. five tens and 25 cents at a time. And I'd saved quarters. I love quarters. I can made it all the way to $15 <laughs> doing who knows what, but I took that money and my brother wanted to sell. You remember um, Jolly Ranchers, the hard yep. candy. Yes. But, but when I was a kid, they sold them these big, long plastic and probably you too, big, long sticks. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could pull out eight teeth at once with them. Like, just horrible pieces. They don't sell them anymore. But my brother figured out, he, he had the hotspot to go sell them in his class, but didn't have the money to buy them. And so I bought them. He sold them. We split the profits. <laughs> Love it. And Love so it. my first dollar ever made was being the banker. Like, oh, this is, there's something in, onto this. So there's, there's how you did it. First grade hustling candy to uh, second grade classmates. You two brothers getting up to no good. <laughs> yeah, like. they actually made us quit. Which I'm like, if you're gonna if you're gonna teach a kid anything in elementary school, you, you've you, 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 like talk about demotivator. Like you should mm-hmm. be patting this kid on the back, going, "Hey, man, that's really smart." You see them. You see a market need. You have you have willing and willing buyers and willing sellers. Like you're you're thinking here, buddy. Keep doing that. Instead, they're like, "No, you can't sell to your classmates." So you got to work. I don't know what you, you call it the canteen. I think, but we call it the tuck shop in Australia. And it was where you'd go. Your mum give you some lunch change, and you'd go buy yourself some lunch. And it would always be the lolly line or the you know the candy line. And right. you know they're, they're probably like they're probably telling you to stop it because uh, they're taking profits away from the school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but but I still look at that story and I'm like, this is why I dislike education. Still, like this just didn't work. <laughs> awesome, mate. Well, look. I want to get into your story. You, you you built a lot of stuff. In the introduction, I talk about you know, just all the different asset classes you're involved in, but you didn't start there. So walk us through how you grew into becoming a real estate entrepreneur and what you built today. Yeah, I mean, today, I'll be honest, I'm not where I want to be. I mean, that's just, and I don't know how many of us are. It's a journey, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when you see the helter-skelter array of things I've invested in. It's probably because I, I I did never have the patience to focus. And that's cost me quite a bit. That's that's a downfall. You know, what is like, t- tell me what you're doing and what does it cost you or what has it benefited you? 
uh, you know, not having, and, and I say this all the time now, I want to go an inch wide and a mile deep. Like I am hyper-focused right now on two asset classes and that's probably not as hyper-focused as I could be, uh, but two asset classes and that's it. Um, I have no real interest. I even had a phone call this morning with some legacy um, legacy uh, offers we'd made a couple of years ago in, in, in the parking industry. And um, somebody called back and like, hey, you know, I know you made an offer a couple of years ago. I wanted to circle back with you on this. And it said, look, guys, I, I'll, I'll make an offer, but you're not going to like it because it's got to be at such a price that it makes all the sense in the world to me. So I'm going to make your offer and you'll probably put it in the shredder because I just, I really need to focus down. And, and, mm. and if, you, if you make it really, really sweet, then I'll probably find a way to make a pie on it and keep moving. But otherwise, like it's just blinders. I got into real estate on accident. I always say it was the good Lord having mercy on an idiot. Uh, I told this story probably way too many times, but I was drinking coffee one morning and uh, saw a foreclosure listing here in Tennessee. They used to post them on the attorney's websites, actually, if you can believe that or not. You have various foreclosing attorneys. Uh, today, it's a deed of trust state here. And so these attorneys would be the ones listing the foreclosures and I happened to be on their website, saw the opening bid, saw the address, saw it was two miles from me or a mile from me rather, went and looked at the house and I'm like, hey, this is this is purchasable. I asked my wife, hey, do you mind if I buy a house today? She goes, no, two hours later, we owned a house and made a pile of money on it. I just kept doing it. So nine years later, I'm still in real estate. That's awesome. It, yeah, so, uh, and it's been, of course, the journey, journey from that point forward has been like everyone's kind of, you know, iterative in, in nature, but that's, I had no intention of being in real estate and here I am. Well, and what was the career before real estate? I owned a, I owned a flooring company. Huh. So okay. my brother and I owned a flooring company up in Indianapolis. Um, it was a success, successful flooring company. We made it through the 08 crisis, which we went from having 30 employees to one, which was painful. Man, I had to trade in my, my dress clothes and collared shirt for jeans and work boots again. Uh, ground my way through that. And you also figure out in industries like that, like where the ceiling is. It's pretty low. It's pretty low. It's got low ceilings. Uh, the other thing, you know, in that industry and nothing against, there's a lot of really smart people in the flooring business. It takes, I mean, it's probably the, the, one of the most expensive trades that go into the building of a home, which is really interesting. But it, uh, you know, the, the idea that you, the five people you surround yourself around is the sum of who you are. And when you're working in that environment, you're, you know, you're just not necessarily sharpening yourself. Mm. with the people you surround yourself with. So that kind of just got old and I kind of hated it and we sold it and moved on. Interesting. Interesting. And so congratulations that you did sell it because coming, you know, coming out of any exit, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty successful, right? Like that you, you started a company, you sold it. Like, right. yeah. That's tick the box. Tick the box. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, and I, I wasn't rich, I wasn't right. rich, but, but we sold it and it was the most money I'd ever made on anything. And I'm, and I was just glad to, glad to be out and, had uh, had money and time on my hands and wound up in real estate. Right. And so you mentioned two asset classes you're in today. So not parking. What are they? Uh, multifamily and storage. Multifamily storage. Got it. Yeah. And, and, and came in as a, you know, we've done some SVP stuff or SPV, probably uh, mm -hmm. special purpose vehicle stuff with some other, you know, major um, folks in the storage industry. Uh, as well as developing, and I'm niching down inside of storage even further into boat and RV storage. Mm. So developing boat and RV storage and looking at other boat and RV storage facilities right now to acquire. Uh, that um, that has some runway in it, I think, just based upon the current trends here. You know, obviously multifamily is very hot, and I don't care if anybody else wants to go out and get into boat and RV storage, knock yourself out. It's a simple, it's a simpler version of. Um, I think even regular self-storage, just in the sense that usually it's one asset. 
Uh, they're very expensive and people don't like, you know, getting those either taken away or share sale or, you know, locked off. I mean, people pay their notes on those and, mm. you know, you're getting a lot more per unit on a, on a rent rate, maybe not per square foot, but per unit you're, you're getting, you know, a premium to park a one to $500,000 asset. You know, people are going to pay up to put that in a garage covered space. Um, so yeah, it's just got some, it's got some merit to it on that front too. Again, going back to the working with the right clientele or working with the right people, people with those types of assets, you know, again, they're going to pay and be probably a lot easier to deal with. I'm obviously quite well, I'm, I've got a big portfolio of multifamily myself. I've not made the transition into another asset class like self-storage would be very, you know, uh, complimentary. How do you go about, just for the listeners out there with the self-storage stuff, how do you go about analyzing? Because I, I know we, you know, in the multifamily space, as you know, we've got, you know, every man and their dog needs a roof over their head, right? Everyone needs somewhere to live. You've got property management companies who make it a profession just running these things. You know, you've got all these online widgets. And I was just, I was actually literally just on a call with my regional manager talking about the budgets and the marketing budget and the admin and office administration budgets and the R&M budget and all that sort of stuff. So what goes into, what's the differences in your mind between the self-storage world and from an, from a determining if it's a good deal versus the multifamily. Obviously, we know multifamily, you want to be, you know, in, in, in a good affluent area. You want to be you're surrounded by you know, high high um, income homes. Uh, you want your demographic to, you know, you want to shift the demographic to earn more. What are you doing on the self-storage front? Like, you know, is it drive-by cars? Or what, what, what sort of tips can you give the listeners if they're wanting to look into self-storage to understand if it's a good deal or not? Well, I mean, you know, on the, uh, on the large, we'll call it, we'll even broaden the scope a little bit and call it toy storage, right? If you're going to the toy storage space, you can either be in a metropolitan or, or near a big city, right? Because, I mean, most of these places can't park their drive, their boats and their RVs in their driveway, um, nor do most people want to, unless you live on a farm or somewhere that you have acreage, which again, you're, you're not, no longer in the city. So that's, that's option one, as far as your clientele. And you're going to find that really in any major city, boat and RV storage, or, you know, big toy storage, things like that. Um, usually in the suburbs, of course, um, where again, people can't, um, can't, can't park their stuff in their driveway. The other thing is, is near, uh, especially here in the South is, I mean, I don't know how many reservoirs, and of course there's reservoirs all over the country, but I feel like, I feel like the Southeast is just littered with reservoirs. Uh, anywhere near a reservoir, man, to and from the reservoir. Like you can be, there was a facility I was looking at last week between Memphis and uh, a lake called Pickwick Lake here in Tennessee. And um, Pickwick, I mean, it's an hour and a half, two hours from Memphis and halfway between here and there, there, you know, potential to, to, to buy and build and or add or buy and then add on to a facility. It's 100% leased up. It's out in the middle of the country. Right. But it's a, it's a beautiful facility, boat and RV storage, but people traveling back and forth from the city to Pickwick, they don't want to drag their boats back and forth. Right. They want to take, they want to take it only a certain distance, park it, put it somewhere nice, know it's secure behind a six, eight foot fence with barbed wire on top and secure access. And I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. So that's, that's where we're building right now is, is near reservoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, where again, where demand, of course, you got to know what the demand is. I mean, you're looking right. at, you're looking at things that I don't do, like fishing groups and, you know, trolling Facebook for, for what, what fishing groups are out there and how many members will shoot, man, there's, you know, 40,000 members and just a fishing group on this reservoir alone. Holy smokes. And then you see everybody in the area is completely packed. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so that's, um, those are kind of just some of the ways we look at it and it's a little bit, yeah, I'm sure that there, and I haven't spent the money on this yet, yet. So, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, feasibility studies and things like that, that you could really have done, but really knowing the area and just seeing what demand is and having boots in the ground that have a good feel for what's going on. is probably the easiest way to identify opportunity in that space. Sure, sure. What are you looking from an expense ratio point of view? You know, and, and, you know the, the multifamily looking around fifty percent. What's it? What's it in? Uh, you know, toy storage as you like thirty, to say. maybe thirty. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's and, low. And- you're gonna trade it. You're gonna trade at a higher cap rate too. You know, eight eight percent ish, depending on the age of the facility. Maybe nine. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's room there. It's it's gonna trade at a higher cap rate. So on the buy side, that's certainly better. Hmm. And what sort of what sort of value add programs? I know I've spoken to a couple of self storage operators on this show. It's all about the tech and the seamless, you know, coming and getting your boat. I'm assuming the same thing. You, just, you don't have to deal with people. You just want to go in, scan something, off you go. Is that is that part of the value add? Well, yeah, for sure. And the other the other big component is is size. Um, that that bigger is better. Uh, mm. Truly, because boats have grown in the size, uh, RVs have become you know just behemoths. I don't know if you paid attention yeah. to the. I mean, you're going two ways in the RV land. You're going to like Class A 44 footers, and then you're going to you know uh, you know Sprinter Sprinter vans that have been tricked out, or even those Mercedes. They even make Mercedes sells one for like I don't know a couple hundred thousand bucks. It's like real compact. I mean, you could put you could put your shoebox in it, and it's like got everything you need. Um, so you can go both ways with that. But the size of the units matter. So if you go to any facility and you ask them, hey, I'm looking for a, a 14 foot high, 11 foot wide. Uh, 40 foot deep space, most of the time they're going to say, yeah, we don't have them. And so that's, that's what we're building is, is just going, all right, we're, we're building bigger facilities to handle the bigger toys that people have. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, and, so and this is all, so you, what you're saying is it's all indoor storage, right? You're not, it's not just a fence around a, a horizontal asphalt parking lot. Hey, park it wherever you want. Give me a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> those, man, those, those places, believe it or not, are doing really well too. Golly, I've toured plenty of them. And you're just yeah. like, how, why? I don't, I personally don't understand it. Like why, why are you guys, you guys are going to park in a field basically <laughs> and pay a hundred bucks a month to do it. This is madness. So that just shows you there's demand. Mm. Like if you can provide covered storage, which we, you know, you can do one of two things. I mean, cause then you got these giant fifth wheels, right? right. You got these fifth wheels that, that, you know, people pull on these giant trucks and even, and then you might not even be able to park those indoors. They're so dang tall. Mm. Uh, and so then, you know, on those, you know, we'll, we'll build covered pull through storage, but not necessarily indoor. Um, so there's, there's a uh, really, um, yeah, lots of different ways you can look at that. So, but let's talk about the the, the rental rate because it's always very interesting. You, you mentioned earlier is price per square foot. I, I just pulled a hundred bucks out. What do you? What's the sort of good rental rate for a for a boat these days? You know, and I assume it's not air conditioned or is it conditioned space? I mean, we're not putting anything with with conditioned space in it. I can't imagine what that would run. <laughs> I mean, because that's a lot of cubic feet. Mm-hmm. A lot of cubic feet. If you're, you know. Uh, Sound like an idiot on here because I did do the math and get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> but even per space, it's a lot, let alone, you know, across an entire yep. facility. So no, we are not doing we are not doing climate controlled. Got it. But but your average space for uh the, the average boat would, would go for what? Depends on the depends on the city and depends on uh, you know whether you're city or city or more more rural. The more rural you rural, if I can say that word, I hate that word. The more rural you get, the harder or, or the lower, of course, the 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 rate will be. But you're talking anywhere, 
I mean, 150 bucks, maybe 180 bucks average per month per space. Mm-hmm. So if you build a 200, 200 space, um, you know, facility, you're talking 36,000 bucks a month, gross rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, that's uh, that's probably average. I think the rate's higher here in Memphis. Cause I know I've looked at some other facilities here and it's higher. Uh, but of course it's more accessible and it's in town. You're paying property taxes that are, you know, out of the way as well. Yep. So, yep. And w- management wise, who you got running these things from, from day to day, if anyone, it's no one, I mean, that's <laughs> it. That's the, that's why the expense ratio is low. I mean, you might mm-hmm. have a lot guy that goes out and sprays for weeds and, and keeps the fence lines clear. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as, you know, and keeping the, keeping the place cleaned up and I've talked to some other folks that, you know, they, especially if they have rural, rural facilities, they, they may even go so far as, as putting a mobile home out there at the corner lot and, uh, and giving somebody Rich, free yeah. rent to, to, to watch the place and, you know, take care of it, uh, just to keep yep. eyes and ears on it. But then we also put up security systems and everything else. So, you know, I don't, I don't see a need. That's a, that's a, that's a, that just sounds like more management to me. Mm. So no, right now, nobody there's, it's just not needed. And, and you, you mentioned like you, is all brand new stuff you're doing or are you retrofitting old, old properties to, to accommodate these? All these brand new. And again, the idea is that you're building, you're building the size that, that people want. Cause yep. again, the, 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 the project we have under underway right now is it's just, we're building every, everything that no one has. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. Right, that's right. Well, and, and, and that's I didn't even think about like, yeah, you're right. You're giving a big roll of door, you're gonna need big a big size to back that boat in, and hopefully the idiot who's backing it in doesn't hit your columns and <laughs> the whole thing comes down. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there is that, and I guess that's what insurance is for. But yeah, right, right, exactly right. right. So, so on the build, what what are you what are you spending these days? I know with with cost of construction going up and and all that sort of stuff, is that starting to hit your your bottom line? It, well, yes and no. It depends on where we come back. I mean, the, the, the facility we're on right now, we're in the middle of grading and doing doing some other uh, other site work uh, things, and we've not yet finalized on the um, construction costs. And this will be actually our first ground up. So not to say we're building hundreds of these. This is our first ground up we're doing right now. And it, gosh, I don't know. We're building 216 units there. How many of those are, are fully enclosed 150 of those are fully enclosed. Yeah. So we'll, we'll use that as the number and know that there's 66 pull through units. So 150 of those are fully enclosed and it's going to run us soup to nuts, 1.8 million ish. Okay. For all 216, 150 enclosed and 66 pull through. It's the pull through again is basically just an oversized. The 12, about 12,000 bucks, you know, on the 150, you know, knowing that the other stuff is, is, is site work it's fencing it's right. grading yeah. it's yeah so that's 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 good that's a good yeah that's no, a good it's number not, it's not bad at all it's and not then you back all. into your 150 you said what was it you said 200 bucks a unit times 12 yeah, yeah and, like, and like, the one we're building right now is gonna be more rural so you're you're probably looking at that 150 150 uh, uh-huh. so 150 multiplied by 150 you know then you, you get into like what probably 80 percent you know occupancy rate multiplied by 12 and i'm not even doing the exterior so 216 grand just on the the total rev multiplied by yes that's actually 
eerily close to what, what I've probably got in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so you're looking at about $150,000. I'm just doing this for, for, for people listening at home. And you said one point, so $150,000 on an NOI, uh, 1.8 mil. Yeah, you're looking, that's an 8.4 cap. Right. Sounds very attractive. Right. Very, yeah. very, very attractive. So, and then that's before financing and everything. And I'm doing very rough numbers here. Yeah, but yeah. Right. Just for, for those people who are listening, it just it helps give an idea of, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, I know on my spreadsheets, I'm I'm grinding today. That budget call, I'm grinding my freaking property manager. Like, hey, what the hell is that? That's that advertising? No, no, not it was three hundred dollars a month on SEO. No, I don't want that. I right. I want one hundred and fifty. You know, like I'm getting to that granular detail, but. That's awesome. That's that's. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's sure. uh, that's that's it's a very. So so, what's the goal then? Are you trying to really blow this up? And and you you said you're combining it with multifamily. So clearly, this is your your niche right now. But what do you what what's the goal in the next you know, call it five years for your company to to build these things out? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, this is the this is the test run product, right? See how it goes. See what I see. See see. I'm I'm one of those people that I have to. I never enjoyed again going back to my dislike of school. I never liked school because I don't learn by sitting. Uh, I learn by doing, and so I can read a book all day, but I have to go do it, and then I understand it. Like it's that's the only way is if I can touch it, and if I can go, okay, I did this. Now let's see how this performs. I'm, and hey, I might hate the asset class, right? I might mm. get a year in and be like, this sucks. I hate this asset class. Well, I'm not going to build more, right? Right. right? So, you know, I don't know where that where this leads. Again, you know, going back to kind of a lifestyle idea is that for me, I want to build I want to build a lifestyle around my business and not necessarily, I don't love to work. I don't. No uh, one does. <laughs> well, you know, I've worked my whole life. I mean, we grew up really pretty poor, uh, which is why I learned to do the hustle early on. And it's like, I've worked for a long, long time and I, and it's not that I'm opposed to it, but there's more to life than work. Mm. And, you know, the quality of life that you can lead is more important to me than maybe, you know, making the almighty dollar. Right. Uh, I love to have money. I love to, I love what money can do for me, but you know, if I can achieve a certain lifestyle that makes, makes, you know, makes my family happy, meets our needs and allows us to collect experiences, not things I'm in, man. I'm in. And so where do I go with this business? You know, hard to say. I love uh, I love raising capital. That's probably something I really enjoy. I love talking to investors on the phone. I love crunching numbers. I love seeing things take off. I love doing deals and shaking hands. And I found myself in Houston on Monday looking at an opportunity, just, I mean, something completely out of real estate, but it was like, hey, wait, here's a, here, the fire sale on a certain certain uh, asset class. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but go look at it because it's like, what well, was God, it? It's a, actually a gym franchise. Ooh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a gym that I currently belong to. I've worked out for two and a half, three years. And I've always thought, gosh, it'd be fun to own this franchise. So kind of the stars may be lining up between having a, a, a somebody. And again, it's not something I'm de- de- dedicating time to. So this goes back to an inch wide and a mile deep idea. Already have the people in place that would run it. I would finance it. And then I would basically kind of be a, you know, a light business coach for them, maybe for 30, 45 minutes a week. And otherwise, you know, I'm completely oh, okay. involved. Yeah, right. So um, that's interesting. And I, I, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just, I love, I love that. I love what real estate, learning real estate and doing these things. And I just crunch the numbers for the people on the, on, on the, on listening in, but then all these other opportunities come up and you're applying the same metric. Okay. What's the rev? What's the expense ratio? What, what's my equity in, you know, what am I making cash flow out of this? Boom. But you, within and, you know a couple of steps, you can quickly figure that out. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think on on this opportunity, we estimated that in year one, I'd have a hundred percent return of capital. Boom. It's like okay, 
hundred percent return of capital. It's, I mean, I, the, when you, you can't, you could, re, you could figure the returns, but it, they're just, they become silly at that point. Right. So, you, you, and I will say to the, for the listeners listening in, owning a business is different to owning physical real estate because it's not a hard asset and, and you know, the business goes away, the business goes away. For sure. The way you can, you know, ensure, I know, I know people who own medical practices, medical office buildings, oh, sorry, medical, medical practices, but they try to buy the building as well to have the tangible asset underneath and you can right. do very, a, a similar play with uh, a gym a gym franchise, but that's that's freaking awesome, man. Um, but I do I want to dig a little bit deeper into that that lifestyle, you know, quality of life. People, that's what they get into, and and I'm I'll put my hand up. I'm I am guilty of being a workaholic, and yeah. I got into this business, and I I hustle, you know, and, and I I'm only 35, and I do feel the burn, <laughs> I do feel the grind, and I, I kudos to you about trying to recalibrate to make sure. You are with that major focus on quality of lifestyle, quality of experiences over the almighty dollar. It's good to have money in the bank account, but it can't come out a your kids hate you or your your, your shitty marriage or your health sucks or whatever that might be. Right. So, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you just yeah, I think you've said all of it. It's like to what end? I mean, rewind your rewind your brain a little bit and think like, okay, who were some really successful businessmen in the '60s? I don't know. I'm sure there's some people that made an impact on what I'm doing today, but I don't know what your name is and I don't really care. And the same thing's going to happen to people in the 19 or the, or the 2080s for the 2020s. You'd be like, Sam, who, who cares, man? Like, you know, my, my legacy is hopefully that, um, you know, I, I take care of my family. I take care of, you know, my kids, of course, they're part of my family. I love my wife. Well, and I love the people around me. Well, and it's like, mm. you know, and if, and if you spend your days frittering away doing stuff, you hate, or fritter, fritter away, you know, just chasing money. I mean, money, money is just a tool, right? right. It's just a That's tool. Right. And, and, and in the end, if you don't have a quality of life, uh, and, and I just, gosh, again, growing up, growing up without and seeing those with, and then, you know, being able now to cross compare that the other way around where it's like, I don't know, man, like quality of life and who I get to be with and, how I spend that time with them. Gosh, I'd say there's three, there's a three-legged stool that, that makes, that, that, that leads to, um, leads to quality of life. That's going to be your health. That's going to be your wealth. Um, what's the third one? Gosh, health, wealth, and damn, I can't even remember it now. See, that was a great story, wasn't it, Reed? <laughs> well, I want to, I want to I wanna, you know, preface that. Like, I, I look at more of pillars because there's a couple of pillars in life. It's health, there's wealth, there's, you know, you know spirituality or religion, you know, either one of that. Um, and then there's, there's, I'm also thinking, forgetting what the, there's the fourth one, but it's, it's a giving back contribution. That's what, that was the fourth right. one. And, and I interview so many people on this show that, that have the, the business, the one-legged stool really strong, but the others aren't as strong. And as we evolve, and I've interviewed a lot of people on this show like yourself, who've realized that, yeah, chasing the dollar, uh, it's not the be-all to end, or you, you want to obviously create the freedom for yourself to do something bigger. So I know well, in the well, question- time, duh. Well, time, time, yeah, exactly. time, is the, time is the one. Like yeah, you're missing any of those three and your stool doesn't stand up. Right. Right. Correct. You got no time, but you got health and wealth. Well, well, you're dead. If you've got wealth and time, but your health sucks. Like I know people in that category, no deck of millionaires in that category. Mm. It's like, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade seats with you if the sweet Lord Jesus asked me himself. Mm -hmm. No, sir. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. I'm good. <laughs> like your health is gone. Life's over. 
So in time, time and health, but no money. I mean, who was it that said that, uh, that, that, you know, the people that said the money can't buy you happiness don't, don't know what, or, or forgot what it feels like to be broke. So <laughs> it's like, yes, actually m- money can help on the happiness trail, but it's not yes. the end to happiness. So that's, that's the trifecta yes. for me that I'm aiming, aiming for is health, wealth, and time. Right. Right. In your questionnaire for the show, you mentioned giving back and doing more. What are you doing now with you have this more time? And what's what's ticking, what's making you tick, maybe not on the business front, but helping give back to the wider community or, 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 or you know, with your family? What are you doing on that front? Yeah, sure. No, that's great. That's great. So uh, my brother and sister-in-law actually run a, a, a um, an urban uh, urban um outreach in Indianapolis, which is really cool. They call it straight up and they just reach out to the urban youth there. And so a a portion of our proceeds always go to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, out of my pocket, not out of investors proceeds, but you know, out of, out of the uh, uh, general partner side, which is fun to see that go and grow uh, in the heartaches and the struggles along that front. But that's, that's just a purely, you know, financial side of things. Um, That's that I think is easier. Um, One of the things that's been my wife and I can't have kids and mm. so we foster and in february we had three foster kids show up we call it the 30 minute family where at like eight o'clock at night they're like <laughs> hey we got three kids five three and eight months can you take them so by nine o'clock we had a three kids in the house and it um that's cost me a lot this year it's probably been the hardest year of my life no doubt really oh oh gosh i mean you take kids from a trauma and abuse background mm. Um, you got a lot of stuff to deal with a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, you deal with it today. I mean, I was talking to, um, the, the oldest today. I'm like, Hey buddy, I'm, I'm going to be gone next week. And I didn't tell him I'm gone from Tuesday to Sunday. I just said, I'm gone Thursday. Cause we were just talking about Thursday. I'm like, Oh yeah, I won't be here on veterans day. And then just, you just see the shutdown. You're like, Oh no crud. Like, <laughs> all right, we got some, we got some prep work to do before I leave for five days. And it's just things like that, 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 that take a lot of time. And then, you know, just again, trauma and abuse backgrounds, you, we didn't sleep for seven months. So mm-hmm. it, um, but that's been, that's super rewarding on the give mm-hmm. back side. I mean, you see kids that have gone from, again, you know, malnourished, which I just don't understand here in this country, how in the, you are malnourished, but they are, um, you know, all of a sudden gaining, gaining years of growth in uh, what's it been nine months, mm. literally years of growth. So that's, uh, that's just been astounding to watch what love and food and exercise. And sleep. And sleep. Exercise. Yeah. I mean, cause they didn't, I mean, the first seven months they just, I mean, somebody was screaming every two hours at night. So we just switch mm. off, you know, my wife, I, we got, they got so bad at one point I had to go out and sleep in the RV. I she, she goes, you go sleep in the RV tonight. One of us gets a night of sleep. I'll go sleep in the RV the next night. So we started just doing shifts. And wow. uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's big on our heart is family. You know, the, that's and that's uh, a, that's a permanent um, integration into the family. Not not no. necessarily. It could okay. be. It very yeah. well could be, um, which we're open to. Um, yeah, we don't know it, at yeah. this point. We don't yeah. know it, um, but and that's that's probably even doubly hard. It's right. like, man, yeah. man, we are slaving away, and we have no idea where this goes for the kids or us. Which is, you know, it's just it's just a very tough. Tough thing, but that's that's probably the biggest way I I couldn't yeah couldn't give back any more on that front than I than I am at the moment, which is fun, uh, hmm. just just to see the rewards. But whoo, it's been hey, a long that's year. that's thank you for uh, un- unleashing that on us. That's uh, being vulnerable. That's uh, that's an incredible 
incredible thing you're doing and, and I'm sure it's not easy to do. So three three kids, you know, is that instant family in 30 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> so well done. Yeah, man. They're like, and I'll, cup and of I'll soup, come, cup of family. I was, I was coming over and playing pickleball. My wife's like, hey, uh, so I think there's three kids coming. Can you stop at the store? I'm like, so I'm walking through Kroger at eight o'clock at night, like asking anybody, hey, what is an eight month old drink? <laughs> like what bottle should I like? Which nipple size bottle flow rate? <laughs> I don't know. Just throw stuff in the cart so I can get home. <laughs> that, that's just the way it goes. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah, that's good awesome. Well, look, I want to thank you for, for, for sharing that with us. And um, at the end of every show, we like to j- dive into the lightning round. Are you ready to get into yep, it? Yep, let's hit it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? 90% of the time, I'll say at 80, um, I have a morning routine which I love. I love, and, and, and it's been harder this year. Again, when you're not sleeping, you um, when you're catching sleep anywhere you can, things like morning routines go away because you're losing your mind elsewhere and there's not really the energy to focus on these types of things. Um, but one of the things I've done for years and love it is just my morning routine, which is part of part Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning. So mm-hmm. you've heard that before. Part my own creation, part like you know, goals and visions for the year and big goals organized by role and by, you know, month and by what I want to hit by this date. So I do a lot of that. I do a lot of, uh, you know, just, um, you, you know, do what, what's it called? Um, not envisioning, but when you, when you look, when you, when you have like a vision for what the future to be, yep. so I sit there and I think about what that day looks like. I spend a lot of time walking through that day, like where it's funny. Cause I have this certain house that I, that I live in. And I do this certain same thing every day. My wife's always sitting in the same spot, drinking a cup of coffee as I'm walking out the door with my snowboard to get in my certain truck. And literally I saw the house the other day. All of a sudden it came across my screen, uh, some, some picture randomly. And I'm like on, on the internet, I'm like, wait, that's the house. That's the place. I know, I know I've been there. I'm like, that's where I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be there someday. It was, it was just kind of weird. It was actually really freaky. Cause like everything, this doorstep and everything was just right. I'm like, that's, that is the house. This, awesome. is, this is bizarre. That's um, awesome. Did you so, buy it? Are you, are you buying it? <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. I'm not there yet. It's got a couple more zeros on it than maybe <laughs> what uh, the checkbook will swing at the moment. But yeah, that's it. I mean, just looking at where I want to be and setting my mind towards those things. And that's, and again, you know, you're wrapping up the show, but that's, that's, uh, I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in real estate is really mindset, mm. right? Like coming, uh, coming from not, you know, significant means you end up, subtly though my my mom was really good with money my dad still doesn't isn't good with money because he just didn't know anything about it. he never cared but mom was great with money but never really had that like hey we can go beyond where we are that you can do if you put your mind to it you really can do anything i mean you say you can't you're right you say you can you're probably right like mm. and and that that to me has been a big mind shift mind shift um in just understanding that, yeah, you know what, I, I can break out of maybe the cycle that uh, I've been shown and do a lot more. So yeah, that's uh, that's how I stay on track. That's awesome, man. That's awesome, and thank you for thank you for sharing that with us. I think you know foreshadowing and not foreshadowing, but but putting things into the universe and thinking about them, and then they come real or they, you see it. It is a little freaky sometimes. So yeah, for sure, for awesome, sure. Awesome, awesome. Question number two is who's the most influential person in your career? That's a great question. There's so many people. To, to narrow one down, uh, there's a guy named Bo Wilfong. Give a shout out to Bo. He's probably unknown in uh, our sphere, um, but in the real estate realm, uh, very successful, very down to earth, very humble. Uh, somebody that I've accounted, you know, has personally mentored me when I was in my mid twenties. 
uh, spent a ton of time with Bo, both um, personally and professionally. And um, yeah, one of those people that you don't know how much money he has or doesn't have because he's just himself. And it's like, you know, he's done great, done great things. So that's uh, that's somebody that that I look up to and is just super humble and very, very wise. So yeah, shout out to Bo. Thanks, Bo. Awesome. <laughs> Question number three is, what is the most influential tool in the business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a notebook, or it could be a piece of software that you can't run your business without. What is it? Man, a phone. It's absolutely the phone. Okay. I mean, I'm old, older school and um, yeah, I hate using computers. I use them because I need to. But if you give me the option to talk to an investor on the telephone or have a Zoom call or set up, just give me the telephone. Let's, let's, let's just dial and talk. Like that's in, in there. I hope to work myself out of sitting in front of a computer at some point. <laughs> I do too. I do too. My question number four, in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? And what'd you learn from that failure? Uh, yeah. So when I sold that company and then I, then I had money and time on my hands, the biggest failure was I panicked. I mean, I panicked. I had no idea. I'm 30 years old. I have money in the bank. I have time on my hands. I don't know where to live. I don't know what my next career is. They, you know, looked at this, looked at that. I tried a half a dozen different things, just pissing money and time away <laughs> like an idiot, just because I was freaking out. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I've got to learn. I got to figure out a way to make a living. Ah! And that goes back to the poor mentality where it's like, you just got to know where your next, you know, dollars coming from, which I really didn't. It was fine. I had time. I had money. Well, would slow down, dude. Like I go back and slap myself and just like sit down, son. Just be patient. Just chill out. You'll figure this out. Um, so yeah, that was that was a failure in the sense that I did. I wasted a lot of money and I wasted a lot of time just just screwing around uh doing dumb stuff versus going, wait, if I if I again pick a niche, go an inch wide and a mile deep, and just methodically approach whatever it is I'm doing, it would probably make a lot more sense. So mm. that, that was 2013, 2012 into 2012, 2013 is probably the most painful year of my life. 2021 is the most difficult. That was probably the most painful. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's, it's important to, re to reflect on the youth in your brain to say you've got to panic. And I love what you said about the the, the, the poor man mentality. You don't know where your next door is coming from, but just take a breath and it's, it, it will come. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah, man, absolutely. One, first thing I would do is follow me on LinkedIn. That's probably the most, um, you know, place I'm probably the most active. You can find me there. Uh, look up Samuel Wilson. Look up how to scale commercial real estate. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Other thing is go to brickandinvestmentgroup.com. That's our website. Uh, the free checklist. Uh, go to uh, Brick and Investment Group. That's B-R-I-C-K-E-N, investmentgroup.com forward slash checklist. I got a great, great checklist on there that will help you vet a deal in 10 minutes. So if you get an opportunity coming across your desk, you're like, I don't know if this is for me, download the, download the checklist. It'll really help you refine your criteria. So that's a, that's a really fantastic free resource uh, on, on the website. And of course, also listen to the podcast, How to Scale Commercial Real Estate. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Just to reflect a little bit about what I took away from today's show, I think you know your niche into the the boat and RV space, going through those numbers just then, really makes a lot of sense. And and kudos for you to, to, to graduate into the ground up development space because it is a harder space to get into. But you're seeing opportunity where you see opportunity where others don't, and I think that's what makes a successful investor 
be curious about something to go off and then execute. So, so well done on that. I also think, you know, you're keeping true to yourself, your quality of life, being humble. You sound like a really humble guy down to earth, but making sure you're pursuing the right things in life, not just chasing the dollar. I think that was, was, was really important to me. And then, you know, your vulnerability of sharing with, with the three kids, um, you know, from a trauma and abuse background coming into your life and how that's changed you and your wife's life up a little bit upside down a little bit in the last, the last 12 months. So, uh, particularly with, uh, with all this COVID nonsense going on. So, um, Mate, did I leave anything out? No, man. Sounds great. Thank you for having me on, Reed. Mate, my pleasure. Well, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Well, there you have it. A great cracking episode with Samuel Wilson. Please remember to check over to his website and check out everything that's going on over on there. Download his free um, checklist to you know check out any deals that you might be looking at right now. I think it will really, really help a lot of people. Check him out on LinkedIn, uh, brickeninvestmentgroup.com. And also you can Google his name. He comes up everywhere. You know, you Google him. He's got an incredible podcast that I was also on. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. We're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. 